Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is um, 3-12-2023, and we're going to continue with our worship service this morning. We're going to continue with the Thought of the Week in prayer. Okay, Thought of the Week. It is by grace you have been saved. How did God bring us from a position of spiritual death and transgression? So we lost in this praise to this state where we are saved, united with Christ, and seated with him in the heavenly realm. Great. For those lost in the dark, stagnant Christians of sin and death, the word grace is sunlight and the breath of fresh air. Grace is God's way and the only way a lost soul can find help. When it comes to salvation, it is depressing to know the way God saves. This information is always relevant to every soul in Adam. It is never outdated or stated. It is always fresh and God's hand ready to apply a grace to anybody who will come to him by Christ. Many have rejected this grace and have gone their own way. I want to use our Lord's words here, enter through the narrow gate, for why the gate and broad is. The road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. This is certainly not the way to life. We must Pay close attention here. Many have gone a long way down the broad road and have invested much time and energy into this way that only leads to destruction. Do not dismiss this issue. What you think about grace will decide your eternal destiny. But follow the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Grace is the narrow road that leads to life, or you wanted to heal. Well, we know that the road of salvation is always to those who find the ability to accept the truth about what says the Lord about salvation. God gives salvation to everyone, but only a, it's sad to say that only a few find it. But those who find it will have the way to eternal life. Everyone has a way to life after physical death, but your path is, is determined about whether or not you believe in Christ or not. Will you, will you decide to take that road to lead to destruction? And that's the problem. I mean, that's, that's a, everybody finds that way. So it depends upon your status with with God, and only you know do you believe in Christ that you shall have eternal life, or do you reject, or do you reject His provisions that lead death and spiritual um, way of you not finding the truth? You only find your way. So this is the thought of the week. It's by grace you have to save it. Remember, it is not of yourself. It is not a work. It's the gift of God. Amen, Dave. So this is what I get out of it. At this time, we have to have prayer. Do anyone have any special requests? Have prayer on their heart?
Okay, if not, we take the synodic rate. Everyone please bow your head. Those heavenly fathers, we are coming to you, Lord, at this Sunday, Father. We also come to you, Lord, as a church, Father, depending on you, Lord, to give us salvation, Father. Father, we also look in upon those that have special needs, Father. Only you know their needs, Father. Father, we're praying for those a word of truth that words Christian Christian church, Father. We ask you, Lord, to provide the way that each person needs, Father, that you will grant them the desires of their heart. Father, we ask you this in the name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for his name, amen. Amen. And <clears throat> thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate it. Amen. All right. So we're going to get started. Um, we're in the book of Galatians, chapter 2. You should have notes. And <clears throat> we're going to get right to it. As we, our time is always limited, so it seems. So, it seems. so in Galatians, chapter 2, in your notes, uh, the Apostle Paul established his calling and the decisions made to keep it authentic. This new calling comes with a new dispensation revealed at Pentecost, just as Jesus promised. Paul reveals details about his ministry and establishes himself among the other apostles. He received the right hand of fellowship from his peers, and there was agreement on how to proceed. Paul recalls an incident with Peter. He saw the Jewish influences on the church and quickly addressed the matter publicly. This gives Paul an opportunity to show the metal of the new revelation. It also confirms and establishes the hidden theology and foundation of the church going forward for all the apostles. <clears throat> and we have the record. And, and that's what's important about what happened in those times. Uh, we have the record now. It is written. And we can refer back to it. We can learn from it. We can grow in it. Uh, there's, the fact that it's preserved for us is marvelous. So we're going to jump right in. So we got uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1. <clears throat> Paul gets right into it. Then, after 14 years... I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. So that's the first verse, and just a few points here. And remember, this is what we are doing uh, as an overview. We just want to <clears throat> uh, reiterate that, that it is an overview. It's not the detail that we have taken uh, the time to go through other books and look at verses in much more detail. But we have gone through Galatians, just as a reminder, way back. I think we finished it in 2012. So that's 11 years ago. So we want to give a quick overview because the things that are there also prepare us for what is uh, ahead of us, and that is the book of Ephesians. So... Uh, Galatians 2.1, as I said, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus also, along also. Paul reminds or, or recalls a time when he went to Jerusalem. And again, 
And uh, there are key words in this first phrase that helps us understand that <clears throat> this is not the first time, or even the second time. We don't know exactly, time has passed. 14 years, you know how long 14 years is? A long time. He says, then again, after 14 years, uh, and this time, he says, I took Titus. Now, he had say, just is to say that he's just thinking back and he's, the, the Holy Spirit has given him this memory to record, not just for the apostle, but for us. Paul is not just reminiscing. This information is preserved for us. We'll get to that later. But, but remember, in the previous um, week in chapter one, we already noted that the timeline here is not to be taken as, oh, this happened, and then the next thing that happened was that, and then in the next day that happened, and the next day. He, there's no way we can cover a period of 30 to 40 years in a short time. <clears throat> so what do we have? We have Paul re recalling things that happened, and God the Holy Spirit is bringing this to Paul's mind so that he could uh, commit this to writing for our benefit. Point B, I went up to Jerusalem. He did not go up to Jerusalem as a Pharisee, but as an apostle to the church. And this is important for us to note because remember, since we did fast forward in, in Paul's, uh, his life, we're noting that uh, we did just come from talking about his conversion and the Damascus Road and his travels and what he did and so forth. And now we're talking about 14 years later. So uh, remember, he was a Pharisee. It was much different for Saul to be in Jerusalem than it would be for him coming to Jerusalem now. He's coming to Jerusalem as an apostle to the church, which is at odds with the establishment there. There in Jerusalem was the temple, and uh, not only is it the birth of the church, it is the citadel of Jerusalem. I mean, of of the Jewish uh, worship, the center of their worship. So understand that Paul being there is not. Just, oh, I'm sure he knows and remembers all that happened when he was there before and how he used to be a Pharisee. I'm sure those memories must have been in his mind. So I thought I'd just point out that he's human. <clears throat> he remembers. But only the truth could have transformed his mind. He was so bent on destroying the church, so bent, uh, so... Uh, motivated to fight against the church that nothing, humanly speaking, would have changed that thought except for God. God intervened on the behalf of Paul. And as we saw last week uh, where he said they praise God <clears throat> because of me. So it was, they noticed they praise God, but they are recognized the people in those churches in, in the South were recognizing that this man is now a benefit to us, not a hindrance, but he's a benefit, and they praise God as a result of Paul's influence. <clears throat> so this is, that was um, 
that was point B, right? The truth could transfer. So remember, as Paul wrote in uh, Romans 12 for us, which we're getting into uh, in, in, on Wednesdays, we're talking about the transformation process. And it's important to understand how that works, that it's not going to be easy for us to have our minds transformed. We're going to talk about more of that on, on Wednesdays. However, just know the apostle who wrote that certainly understands that, what true worship is for God. And it requires a transformed mind. And so when you see a transformed mind, you do see a transformed person. So just like Jesus told the Pharisees, of which Paul was one at the time, he says, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. That's in Matthew 23. So the, <clears throat> that, is, that was appropriate here for the Apostle Paul. He had to go through the work of cleaning the inside of the cup and dish. And this is what he thinks. He had to have a transformed mind in order for him to not only accept his call, but to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Point C. This is not the first time he went to Jerusalem, as chapter 1 reveals. Right? So we saw that. This is His traveling companions were Barnabas and Titus. So that's interesting to note that he mentions... Uh, these two traveling companions, Barnabas and Titus, but we're getting ready to get into a little bit more why he went there or what led him to go there. We just have to understand that in the next verse. But just to note, in this verse, he took along with him Barnabas and Titus. So of all the things to mention, the spirit of truth directs our attention to this matter in the early church. So we should be like, okay, this is a nice introduction. I went up to Jerusalem again after 14 years. Okay, but what's the point of this, Paul? And why are we talking about this? We're not just talking about this because you feel it's something interesting to talk about. We're talking about it because the Spirit of Truth wants us to direct our attention to this matter. And that's what we're going to deal with in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 2. And that's where we're going. Point number two is Galatians 2. So I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running or had not been running my race in vain. <clears throat> we're going to try to break that down a little bit. I think we got five points that we're going to talk about because this is the matter, right? This is why he went up to Jerusalem after 14 years, right? So again, after 14 years, this is a part of it. So the first point is a revelation, right? So in response to a revelation. So this says that Paul's journey to Jerusalem is by divine revelation. Likely, the Spirit directed Paul to this important meeting. So it, it, it is interesting that we recognize that Paul was being led by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem at this point. 
he mentions, he didn't have to say this, but he does, because we already know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for all of, we know that all scripture is God-breathed. So we, we don't have to say, oh, well, Paul got this right, but he's telling us this information for our benefit. And, and so we should know that God wants to direct our attention here for sure. And uh, there's differences when we talk about revelation and illumination. Illumination means that, like we were looking at the Bible and we see something in there that, and, and it becomes clear to us. The Holy Spirit illuminates our minds to it. As we grow in grace, illumination is what happens. Generally speaking, we don't get revelation. I know people talk about, I just got this revelation, right? <clears throat> well, the information has been written there for thousands of years. You just got it. And really, that's illumination. That's not revelation. Revelation is directly from God. Prophets receive revelation. Apostles receive revelation. If you go to Ephesians 3 and verse, uh, here, let's just read what Paul says here. <clears throat> sure, uh, 3, 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. And reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So this, this is new information. So they didn't look in the Old Testament. And when we say the apostles and prophets, this is New Testament prophets. And I don't have to say these are New Testament apostles because there was no apostles in the Old Testament. So prophets, apostles got this new revelation and it came directly from God because it wasn't in writing. It wasn't in the Old Testament before. But God had to let people know. And how does he do it? Through what we call revelation. And that means you got it. To, Paul didn't look up, go to the other apostles and say, what did you think? And they explained to Paul what was happening. And then he said, I get it now. No, he got this information directly from God. That's revelation. We don't get revelation. Because God already laid down the revelation and preserved it for us. We don't, we don't need to get revelation from God. But what God has already written, we don't understand all of it. We are coming to the understanding of what God has written. And how do we come to that understanding? It is God, the Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who comes to us and he illuminates our thinking. So that now we say, ah, oh, I do understand salvation by grace now. I didn't fully understand it before, but man, when I read that verse now, I see exactly what God is saying. Well, that's illumination. Now, I know we use these words, and we might use them interchangeably. And you might even see me using them like, oh, 
Doug knows the difference between revelation and illumination, but he just messed up over here on this tape or this recording. Well, that's so. We may use revelation and illumination interchangeably, but just know that there are differences to the words, and I'm not saying I'm some sort of prophet. I might have been excited or something and said, boy, that revel I got a revelation, but no. I'm going to say illumination because illumination is the better way to communicate what we what happened to us. See, Paul got it by revelation. We get it by illumination. Let's keep it going here. All right, so that was point, um, point A, I believe, of revelation. So Paul was directed by God to go to Jerusalem for this important meeting. Point B, he says he went and he met privately with those esteemed as leaders. Yeah, so with the prevailing controversies in the church, and there were, we're going to see that, again, this is going to be center stage, the leadership needed to meet and all be on the same page. And it was important that leadership is on the same page because you could go to one today and that's not the case today unfortunately and it was the early church the leadership met that ensures that the church is on the same foundation and they needed to hash these things out i wouldn't say they were all on the same foundation but they came together and they were willing to talk about their differences and the humility uh, was required of them to be able to do that. They needed to have humility. Today, leaders don't talk amongst themselves. They may talk about, wow, God is good and wow, he's, he's, he's blessed us in so many ways. And this is how they talk when they come together. They don't get into the details. They don't get off the surface. But here, they got off the surface. They dealt with controversial issues in their day. And th there were large issues that had to be dealt with. We also had the Jerusalem Council, where they all came together and they hashed out which direction they were going to go. And so uh, whether the church would remain Jewish or whether they would open their doors and allow Gentiles to be part. Now listen, it wasn't up to them anyway. This is God's plan. But God was concerned about how the church, those on the ground, were going to manage things. And he had a mission for them. And they were to be one church, not two or three. Right? So that's why denominations are probably not a good thing because here you have people dividing over issues that they feel are important that other churches are not paying attention to. So me, the meeting of the leaders to me is important. So they need to meet. And you know, the leaders need to meet today. And we all need to be on the same page. I'm gonna read that verse, 1 Corinthians 1.10. This is what it says. It says, <clears throat> I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that all of you agree with one another and what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Yeah, so I, I did, that's one of the verses I actually put on the back of the book. I wanted, that's important to me. I would love that this would be uh, the church in the world today, that we present a united front to the world and bring the gospel, bring the truth of the gospel to the world. However, that is not what's going on. There are many voices out there in the world, and they are, they are all not saying the same things when it comes to the gospel, which is distressing. So... But our prayer, Paul says, I appeal to you, I say, I pray for the church, that all of us may be, that we say the same things, that we present a united front to the world. And that, that is important. So the only way that, that can happen it, as, is as it happened in the early church. These leaders met together and they hashed out these controversies. Their feelings didn't, maybe they did get hurt at some point, but they still thought this was more important than themselves. And they came together around this important subject. Point C, Paul presented the gospel to the Gentiles. Notice he wasn't questioned about the Jews and he went into many synagogues as well. So this point in point C now, I'm making is notice he did not detail that he went to the Jewish and if you read in Acts you saw where he did go into the synagogues you'll see where he went and, and preached to Jews as well wasn't just the Gentiles that Paul was sent if you go to Acts chapter 9 you would see that he also is going to the Jews but primarily he is the apostle to the Gentiles and God was going to use him in a mighty way. And he did use him in a mighty way. So, but notice the controversies that are on the table before these people are not about the Jews. They are about the Gentiles. What was Paul telling these Gentiles? Was he telling them the wrong thing? Was His gospel was in conflict with the Jewish gospel. The Jewish gospel, even though uh, they believe in Jesus Christ, but the gospel also includes the new way of life. That's why Paul even talked about uh, uh, the, the revelation of the mystery, right? The, this is in Romans. Let's, let me read it. I don't want to mischaracterize what it's saying here. In Romans 16, verses 25 and 26, it says, Now to him who is able to establish you, here it is, according, in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ. And this is, he's explaining his gospel. Now, this is the, supposed to be the other apostles' gospel, too. But why does Paul have to say it? It's because he's, he's saying it this way because he's trying to help people understand that we're not only talking about Jesus Christ, but we're talking about the new dispensation as well. That's important. So he says, uh, let's just start again. Now uh, to him 
who is able to establish you in, in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now is revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. So he's talking about his ministry, his calling as the apostle to the Gentiles. For him to even say he's the apostle to the Gentiles is to say that he had to step away from Judaism in order to say such things. He had to establish himself as this is my calling and I've come to understand what my this new age brings, that we're not under the Mosaic law. This is not our way of life. And if we're a Jew, we're no longer a Jew. If we're a Gentile, we're no longer a Gentile. We are one in Christ. And if, we're, and if any man is in Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, he is a new creation. Old things have passed, new things have come. So these are <clears throat> truths. And so when Paul says his gospel, he is making reference to the controversy that was very large in the first century, early church. So that's why he had to make that point. Uh, and I'm saying the fact that he was questioned about his gospel to the Gentiles is further evidence in our verse where he says, uh, I presented them to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. Now, you, do you think the gospel he preached to the Jews was different? No, it's the same gospel. And this is why there was great controversy in the day. And part of it is the suffering that we will get as a, as a result of living in this world with God's agenda when the world is opposed to us and has Satan's agenda. <clears throat> so there's going to be suffering, conflict, trouble, Jesus says. So that's important. Uh, Paul went to plenty of synagogues, and he didn't bite his tongue. And that's why Paul got in big trouble, big trouble with uh, the Jews. And there were conspiracies that said, oh, we're going to catch up with this guy who's telling people that the Mosaic Law is done away with. And so, I mean, but when we read Romans 11, and we went through it verse by verse, we saw that Israel has a future. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. This is not true. There was tremendous understand, a misinformation out there. I would say just there is today. There's a lot of what we call conspiracy theories and people, you know, we saw this with the pandemic where people just didn't get their news from one source. They just were confused. People were I mean, and it caused people to die. So what we want when it comes to the gospel is a unified gospel message. The only way we're going to do that is if first we learn it. We got to understand what it is the gospel is saying. And not only that, but this new age. It's like Paul says, because it's not just the gospel according to Jesus Christ, but it is in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed. 
So that was point C. We're moving to point D here. Paul's message was a uniting message. And we get that from also Galatians 3.28, where Paul, we're not there yet in Galatians, but we'll get there. But 3.28 says, <clears throat> there is neither Jew nor Gentile. We should read 27, just to be sure. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And, in, and so this is what we, Paul is trying to tell us that we should look, what we should look like. We're baptized into Christ. That's identified with Christ. And this is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that unites us to the person and body of Christ. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. So all of these things are important for us to know because Paul is talking about unity here. We have unity in the body of Christ. doesn't matter what those distinctions are. In the world, there were tremendous distinctions between all of these categories that he mentioned. <laughs> distinctions and animosity between Jews and Gentiles, distinctions and animosity between slaves and free people, distinctions and animosity between men and women. And all of this goes away once you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you are now, in this age, those distinctions fall to the ground. We are all one in Christ. That's what we ought to know. And so his message was one that should have unified. But here, and I'm going back to point D, but he needed to be sure they were all united as to the message they were preaching, especially as it relates to the law. So <clears throat> we're, we're not just united because we get together and we don't talk about the deep things of God or the, the things that are off the surface. We're not united because, you know, I think ecumenical movements today are out there and they want people all to come together. They have the same thought. We should all be one, come together. It's called the ecumenism, right? But they're saying to you, leave your doctrines at the door. Come together, but don't bring these doctrines you have. We just need your body. We just need your love for everybody. Don't bring your doctrines. Don't bring all the distinctions that you say. You know, we all should just come together. <clears throat> Even Muslims are saying this. But we can't unite with people who don't believe the same things that we believe. What we can do is give them the gospel. We can be ambassadors for Christ, ministers of reconciliation, but we can't sacrifice the, the pearls, the, tr the precious truths that we have been shown by God, the direction of God for the sake of us coming together and you know, joining hands with others just, just so we could say we're united. We have to unite over things that matter to God. So let's just read point D again. <clears throat> point 
Paul's message was a uniting message, but he needed to be sure they were all united as to the message they were preaching, especially as it relates to the law, because there were those in the body of Christ who were trying to compel people to be circumcised and to obey the Mosaic law. There were certainly those who were um, trying to... Listen, they, if you were in that era and, and being a Gentile, they would be trying to tell you that you had to be circumcised and to obey the Mosaic law. Now, I know a lot of women say, ha, I didn't have to be, I'm not, they weren't circumcising women, but guess what they were doing? They were compelling women to be obedient to the Mosaic law, which was huge for you as well. So, so none of, none of that is the way we come together. And it's not even just <clears throat> drop all your, the, it, the whole point is that God has a plan. And we are to get on board with that plan. God has an agenda. God didn't just say, well, you know, I'm going to just relax all my standards and I'm just going to just let invite everybody to be one. God doesn't throw away his standards in order for, for us to have unity either. He is, the church is a new entity. It has a different purpose than Israel had. Who we are is different than who Israel was. So these are the things that we are to come to learn. It's not just, oh, just throw aside all the things that divide us and come together. God doesn't do that, and neither do we. <clears throat> Point E, running my race in vain. If there emerged two churches, this is what it would mean for Paul to run his race in vain. This is what he says. I, he says, uh, I, I went in response to a revelation, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. So Paul didn't want to be out there saying one thing that wasn't corroborated by the other apostles as well. That this he wanted to make sure that we all are on the same boat. Right? It is not okay that you preach one gospel to Jewish people and another gospel to Gentile people. This is that's not okay. We all need to be on the same page, Paul is saying. And so he, if, if that's not happening, if people are divided and there is no leadership here on the, these important matters, then there may be two churches and whatever Paul's doing for the Gentiles, the, Jews are, the Jewish church is not going to accept because the Jewish church is going to be under the Mosaic law and the Gentile church is going to be under whatever Paul is saying. And this is how they were trying to make it. Paul says, no, I don't, I don't want to be running for no reason, no valid reason. I, I want unity in the body. In fact, that's all we want as well. We should want. So what does it mean for Paul to be running in vain? He says, if there emerged two churches, I, I'm saying, if there emerged two churches, one Jewish under the law and the other Gentile, because that's what they were. It was heading toward. Um, 
all of his work, all of his preaching and establishing churches would have been defeated because these people would, even though they believed in Christ, they would not adhere to the New Age information, which is to say that they were rejecting the Father's eternal purpose for all things. So Paul was not only preaching, as I said, he wasn't just preaching to the Gentiles. He was preaching to Jews. He would go into synagogues and preach the gospel. So they were concerned, well, what are you telling these Gentiles? Well, he's telling them the truth. And the same truth you should be telling Gentiles, and the same truth you should be telling Jews. So that was important, that Paul felt like he needed to meet with the leadership so that they could all be on the same page. I think it's important as well. So let's keep going. We still, we're, that was, we just completed verse 2. We're heading into point number 3. And point number 3 is uh, Galatians 2.3. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. So let's look at some of the points. So I think it's clear from just reading these two verses before us what the matter was. And even we're, we're, there's more things to read for us to know about this matter, this important matter, but at least we already have a good understanding of what's going on. So point A, not even Titus. So we must acknowledge there were serious problems in the early church. God points out this must be corrected and documented for posterity. It is important. And we can talk about posterity because now we now have intelligent, divine information on these critical matters. God has documented it for us. But guess what? We must continue in our age because there's going to be future generations that perhaps we don't know when the rapture might happen but it could we could be here and gone and then there's future generations behind us or those who are left behind right for posterity that's important god wanted this to be documented Paul says, I remember a time when I went up to Jerusalem again, and this is what happened. And not even Titus, who was a Gentile, he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Paul is saying, we resisted that. That was not the truth, and it didn't matter. And the Jews just needed to grow up and understand these thoughts. That God is, uh, this is the church age now. We're not under the Mosaic law. So that's the first thought. That one, it was not only up to the apostle Paul to demonstrate this, but this was written for our learning, for our understanding. And we should make sure that we carry the knowledge and truth of the gospel to our, wherever we are in life. And so that future generations can also know this truth and preserve the word of God for them as well. Okay, point B, Titus, who was with me, never in Paul's Pharisee days 
would he travel with a Gentile? That was taboo for a Pharisee to consort with Gentiles or partner with Gentiles. Can you imagine all of these things, these divisions in Paul's mind had to be fleshed flushed out of his thinking. None of this could he take into his ministry as the apostle to the Gentiles. Now look, it was very sensitive matter here. Jews and Gentiles, there were great divisions and they took pot shots at each other whenever they they could. They hated one another. So imagine if Paul's going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He had to have his mind transformed from every vestige of hatred or discrimination or racism when it came to him ministering to the Gentiles. The only way that could happen is that Paul have a transformed mind. And it didn't matter if Gentiles presented uh, anger to Paul or if they were, their minds weren't transformed. Paul had a mission. And he went to these Gentiles. It didn't matter what they said. He, it was his objective to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So that, that was the agenda that we were dealing with. And that's how he saw himself in the world. I would say this is how we ought to see ourselves in the world. And none of those factors matter. The mission is more important than anything else in the world. So all those things were very important to Saul, the Pharisee. But Paul took his, mission, his, his calling seriously and his mind was transformed. He could be with Gentiles. It wouldn't matter. Why? Because he knew the truth that they were not under the Mosaic Law. He saw the calling to the church as God's highest priority. Do you see the calling to the church as God's highest priority? <clears throat> so never in Paul's Pharisee days would he travel with a Gentile. This is evidence that Paul, who was sold out to the Mosaic Law and the teachings of the elders, remember we covered this, how this is, Pharisees even memorized the teachings of the elders because they were oral. These were oral traditions that were eventually um, condensed to writing, the Mishnah and the Talmud. But Paul, again, or Saul, this was certainly not who he was, to be traveling around with some Gentile. But it didn't matter. He's recognized, he knows the truth. He says, even Titus, who was with me, who was a Greek. Paul didn't, he saw that his, his heritage was Gentile. But he's saying to us, none of that mattered. And he was compelled, even, he, he was compelled to be circumcised. But he was not circumcised in that regard. Paul is making the point here that we should see. But now, right, so, so it says Mosaic Law and the teachings of the elders was now a bondservant, and a bondservant is a slave of Christ and his church. That's what Paul, think about that transformation process. 
that Paul was a, a Pharisee, not someone who was determined to destroy and murder Christians so that he could eliminate them from the face of the earth and whatever they were saying, to now Paul being apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, it's, it's an amazing. And to this new revelation, this the mystery. So there's a couple verses. Titus 1.1, I'd like to add. Let's see what it says. Titus 1.1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. There it is. He, he writes a letter, but he states who he is and his intentions right up front. There it is. Oh, it talks about his calling. He's a servant of Jesus, of God and, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I love it. It's, it's so descriptive of who he is and what the truth is in, in our day, our time, the new age that we're in. And, you know, slave here, bondservant here is the word doulos, which is the word for slave. He says he's a slave of Christ. A slave is recognition of the fact that Christ owns him. He is, but it also, bondservant, we could translate this bondservant because slavery, you could sell your, you could give yourself into slavery in those days. And Paul is with recognition that he is giving himself, but the result is Christ owns him and even his thinking belongs to Christ. Like he says, I have been crucified with Christ, which we're going to get to in verse 20 later, Galatians, that is. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. What? He said, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This was a relationship that Paul is using the metaphor of slavery for us to understand some aspects about it. Christ owns him. His whole agenda for being here is Christ's agenda, not his own. It's the same way he says when he was in prison. He says, "I am not. I'm a prisoner of the Lord of the Lord Jesus Christ." Right. So this is what he's saying: God has me here. The Lord has me here, and I'm His prisoner. I, I am not a prisoner of of Rome, per se. So this is, <clears throat> then there's Colossians 1, 25 and 26. We'll go through these quickly. Colossians 1, 25 and 26. Paul says, I have become its servant. Who, who, what's its? He's talking about the church, which is in the previous verse. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. What is that? The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. There you have it. <coughs> Excuse me, verses 25 and 26. There's lots more to read around because the understanding doesn't change. Paul is letting people know that he is sold out to this age, and the thoughts, even, but even Peter understood. Here's Second Peter one one. Let's look at Peter's thought. Second Peter, one one. 
Peter understood it. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace to be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Wow, clear understanding of whose they are, what they're doing here, what's important in it, all right there in the opening. I love it. I appreciate it. And it was very clear. So I think uh, point C, compelled to be circumcised. This will be our last point today. We'll pick up next week with uh, right here, but compelled to be circumcised. Not many, many today are calling for circumcision. Now, I know it was early in the church, but remember, circumcision was the sign of the covenant. It was the sign that you have accepted the covenant that God gave to Moses. That's why circumcision was important to them. It was, like Paul says, circumcised on the eighth day, a tribe of Benjamin, this and that, right? This is to say, if you... You're going to be joining the body, right, as a Gentile, that you would have to comply with those conditions, circumcision, and you would have to make some vows to the Mosaic Law. And you'd have to keep the Mosaic Law. Well, even though nobody could keep it, says Peter in Acts 15, it was, we couldn't bear it. And so he says, we shouldn't put this burden on them either. None of us could keep the Mosaic Law. But the thought here, here in point C, is you won't find churches telling you people today that they should be circumcised. Remember, this controversy uh, happened in the first century, and maybe second as well, but this was a huge controversy that they did not want to go in the direction of the New Age. But, but even though they, this controversy is not uh, what's on the minds of many today, they're urging other features in the Mosaic Law upon the church. So it, for them to say, yeah, but Sabbath keeping or tithing or this or that, or some feature we grabbed from the Old Testament, now we're trying to uh, have church-age believers be, uh, fall under the Mosaic Law in this area. That, that is to say that they don't understand and don't trust God to lead in this new dispensation. There's a new age. God has thought of everything that comes with the church. We don't need to borrow anything from Israel. Remember, this information that we have was hidden from Israel. They didn't know about it because God hid it within himself. So it wasn't revealed to them. We have a different purpose than Israel. We're the church. They're an earthly people. We're a heavenly people. We now have uh, before us to learn what God requires of us in this age. We don't just say, oh, well, what did they do in the, in, in the, under the Mosaic Law? Well, they did this. We'll do that too. What that is is a rejection of the new age. Now, it may be more subtle, but it is still saying that we reject God's eternal purpose, which ought not be done. So these are things that are happening today where people are still 
stuck in these areas where they have regarded the Mosaic Law as the standard, the modus operandi of the church, all false. We're going to talk more about this next week uh, as we have come to the end here, but uh, I certainly think these are important matters for us to discuss because it is happening right before our, our eyes. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. This is our opportunity to pause and th say thank you for your grace. We recognize that this grace uh, that we have in Christ is not only about the fact that he saved us and, and gave us his righteousness and paid for all of our sins, but it's an acknowledgement of the new age that we are now living in. Just as the apostle said, according to the revelation of the mystery. So, Father, we thank you for uh, giving us this illumination and understanding of who we are in Christ. We pray that we will continue to grow up in our salvation. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.